Episode of Black in the Maritimes. I'm Fidel, and I'm here with a special guest, uh, one of the most loveliest voice I heard in a while. Uh, this is the second time I do this intro, so I had a lot of good things for her. I still do. I mean, I saw her; she's exceptional. I I really like her voice and what she's doing, and I'm happy she's in the Maritimes. Uh, Ria Reese. Hi, thanks, Fidel. Uh, so, like I was saying, I saw the ad on Facebook that you were playing. Uh, I was like, this is jazz. I'm a, I'm a big jazz fan. And I'm like, okay, let me see this because there's not a whole lot of jazz going on here. So, and I saw you and you didn't disappoint. It was great. It was amazing. Thanks. So, uh, this is the first time that we actually meet. Like yes. you say, this is the first time that we, so we're going to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't know you. I never, so we're going to go back and forth. And if you have any questions and sure. things like that, that's definitely because it's the first time we meet. Uh, so it's, it's kind of cool because, uh, I usually, I got the special equipment out cause, uh, you told me like, well, let's do this in person. And this yeah. is, this is the first interview I do in person in close to like one and a half years. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? How did you grow up? Well, I mean, I was born and predominantly raised in Toronto and, uh, you know, typical Afro-Caribbean brought a heritage brought up in, in the big city, big bad Toronto. <laughs> so it's uh, its its own unique uh, upbringing. And then I moved to Montreal. And uh, Montreal always felt kind of more like home to me. <laughs> really? So which part of Toronto did you grow up on? Um, a lot of parts. But uh, for the most of my upbringing, I would say down in the pits, for those who are in from Toronto would understand what the pits are. It's a uh, Christie Pits, so it's kind of downtown Toronto-ish, uh, downtown West. Oh and, wow! Uh, yeah, uh, the northern part of downtown. So you're not like the North York, Mississauga, Brampton. No, like I'm I'm from Toronto. Toronto. The four one. I I am from the four. I'm from the six. Oh wow! <laughs> I don't think it, it, is Drake. From the six, I think Drake lived in Mississauga or something. For some reason, I always thought it was Forest Hill, but for, I could for, be wrong. I think it probably was. But he's in the six. He, yeah. Yeah. So he's, so he's from there. So you grew up there. Uh, you went to school there, I'm assuming. Yeah. I did all my education in Toronto. So Toronto is a big city, right? It's 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 the melting pot. Like, cause when people think about Canada and and... This is something that we say a lot of this podcast. When people from the outside look at Canada, they look at Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal. They don't look at the Maritimes so much. Yeah, or or not not the rest of like Regina, Saskatchewan, or yeah, <laughs> no, uh, and even as us who are born and raised here, so not even we know that. Like we don't even know some of these little pockets of communities throughout this entire country and it's mind-boggling eye-opening but it's also i like it because i don't feel so isolated that i have to be one place wow nice <laughs> so like talk to me about that because again i when people tell me about canada i say like the real canada it's not toronto it's montreal it's peterborough it's regina 
It's uh, Red Deer. It's those places that nobody knows where they are. That there's like small town bars. Everybody knows each other. They listen to like the Tragically Hip and Rush, and, <laughs> and, and that's that's Canada for me. That that's Canada. Yeah, um, I'm also one of those people. <laughs> I, I I do love a you know a small town bar. I do like to you know listen to some classic rock and you know hang out and chill and just you know do those things too. But um, it, it is a, it is an eye opener when you first see it, I guess, because you know. I'm used to traveling so much. I live more of a nomadic life right now. So I enjoy just moving about and going into places that maybe aren't necessarily black spaces. <laughs> so nomadic life, you mean like when you lived in Toronto, how long have you lived in Toronto? A total of tw- 21 years. 21 years. So yeah. when did this nomadic life started happening? Well, when I was really, really small, my mother took me back to Trinidad for a little bit we came back and then we would travel to New York for a little bit and we came back and then I went to school and then in my late teens towards her I started to just flip about <laughs> and I went to you know the states to see if I wanted to stay there I did not and then uh I finally I went to Montreal for the first time I just got in my car and drove onto the gas tank went to empty and I just started to stop so it's like, it's empty, I'm stuck here. I'm uh, stopping here, and let's see what goes on. So uh, I started a life there, and then I loved it, and met some friends. And then I came back, you know, uh, you know, for a bit to go and con- to try to continue university. And then I was like, I don't like this program, so I kind of left that. And <laughs> I decided, okay, well, what do I really want to do? I had always wanted to be in entertainment and in music, because, I mean, I, my father was a entertainer and a musician but I didn't have the support to create a strong foundation in that industry without falling apart or falling prey to something so hold on so your father was an entertainer but you didn't find the support in your family yeah (laughs) tell us a little bit how did that come about because I mean again I used I still kind of work in the music industry and it's a hard business to, to be Very in. difficult. And it's not for those who are easily manipulated into doing things that could, in the long run, really damage them. It is a business you need to remain very mentally strong through the whole time. Yeah. And uh, my father was really much into it and left it because of this mental strength you need to have. And he saw it was tearing him apart and he didn't want that for me. Oh, so what did he play? Like, did he play well, he was, he was a singer. He had his own band. He, uh, his, well, it's Tidy Francis and he had the fire sticks as well as flight. And that was throughout the Caribbean, Europe and Canada in the, uh, starting in the 50s, I believe, all the way up to the 70s, early 80s. Well, at least my last memory was one of his rehearsals, and that was in the early, early 80s. I'm aging myself right now, but (laughs) (laughs) I guess it don't matter. Black don't crack. Black don't crack. That's right. That's right. That's exactly So your dad was in the, like, he had a record deal. Well, he was going to get one, yeah. But he, like, he was, he was hard gigging. Like, he, he was 
gigging solid. He played with some names I'd rather hit. If he wanted to talk about it, he'll talk about that himself one day. But he he was there. He was working. So would you would you say he was your first influence when it came to music? I guess I didn't even see it as an influence. It was just what I knew. Like my dad sings. My dad is in this business, and so whenever when I decided to take it on myself, I just took those memories. Oh wow! You know, I mean, my grandmother on my mother's side was a singer in the church choir, as far as I know, and like we all kind of. Everyone in on both sides of my family were really artistically or musically involved to some extent. Okay. So, I mean, I'm from the Caribbean, too. I'm originally from the Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know as immigrant parents and immigrant people, we know that they want you to educate yourself. Yes. It's like you want to, you want to become a doctor or a lawyer or something that makes money. But don't this entertainment thing, is it's a hobby. No, 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 don't do it. They, they want to protect you and they want you to... Ha- I guess I, I understand where it came from. They, they come to a new land to ensure that their children or their future legacies have something. And something intangible as artistry and creativity is not easy to categorize or it's not easy to monetize. You have to be very, very cagey and <laughs> and intuitive on how to do that. However, I'm not saying it doesn't require a lot of thought or work to be a doctor or a lawyer, uh, an engineer, but there's maps set out for that, especially in North America. There's maps already set out for all of these career paths. And so when they say do this, it's because it's tried, it's true, it works, right? And if your goal or if you lean in those directions, of course, go for it. Do the best you can do. Be the best at it. But if it's not your passion or direction, and it's not just parents from the Caribbean, it's like all over the world. You know, we have immigrant um, families coming in from all over the world. Maybe not necessarily their children want to be those things. They had other aspirations, but did that be out of pressure, out of obligation, out of despair, like, not being able to follow their dreams, so might as well follow something else. But um, I guess I was put on that same path as well, try to be something along those concrete set paths. But uh, I never, I never took to it. I tried it. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> I it's, tried it. <laughs> it's, it's what you say, right? It's like I heard one time that somebody said. It's easier to become a lawyer and a doctor than a ball player or a singer or, or a hit singer. Like it's or, easier. Or because, a painter or. Yeah, because there's a path, like you said, there's like where you go to school, you get grades, you get your practice. Like there's there's a map. To there's do a it. map, yeah. But there's not a map to have a hit record no. or get a record deal or, or, or sell an art uh, or live out of art. So I could definitely see why parents usually want, because there's a lot, like it's easier for their kids. Even. Even though we don't think it is, because when you're in the moment, you're like, what the fuck is this? Man, this this is not easy. (laughs) (laughs) This is not easy, and it doesn't get easier. (laughs) Yes, it doesn't doesn't get easier. And and that's the thing. The thing about art, which I say, is that I met Pitbull once, Mm -hmm. and he said the realest thing. This is music business, but what people don't tell you is is that 80% is business and 20% is music. Yes. 
And when I was like, I was like, wow, I never, I never heard that from somebody before. And he said, like, yeah, because uh, you want to sing, you wanna, you wanna dance, you wanna do, but nobody teaches you about royalties, licensing, uh, revenues. That is the masters. biggest part, and it has. Uh, I, that is one thing. I am so glad. I learnt from the beginning when I started doing this. Yes, I started much later in life than a lot of artists would. You know, they started. Well, I guess for the child starts five, but like young artists when they're late teens, early twenties, I didn't start this till I was like 31. Really? (laughs) Yeah. And, but I mean, my partner, Andre, he was doing this another 10 years before that. And he was, he learned about, you know, mastering. He learned about mixing. He learned about royalties. He, He learned about song, you know, his rights and all that. And he's like, so can girl get your SoCan is the first thing I had to. He's yeah. like, you're not even singing a song until you sign up to SoCan. So yeah, that, that's what that's to the artist. You know, SoCan sometimes give you like penny checks, but they're checks anyways. <laughs> at least there's there's somebody paying attention. Yeah. Because that's actually your job. Yeah. And if you're not writing, if you're not singing, performing, dancing, painting, what or writing, whatever you are to be doing, that is the creative aspect of your job. Somebody is supposed to be doing the 80% of the job. And guess what? If you want to ensure that it's being done right, that it, that person is you. Yeah, that's right. That, that, and that's a lot. <laughs> I, I tell a lot of people that when they used to management and stuff, I'm like, guys, look, forget about, if you guys want to be artists, just be artists. Just let me handle the business and don't, yeah. you know, question me about the business, but don't question me about why you want to do this or why you want to do that because it's, it's a business. Like it's, it's, a, it's business, a business. It's a business decision. I'm not coming out of it from the artist perspective. I'm not. I'm not coming out of it from like oh art or whatever. I'm coming out like this is the best move to to get you to the point place. So now something that just let's go backtrack on that. You started this at 31 and you left Toronto at 21. What were you doing all this previous time? Ah, oh yes. So um, I had another life as a flight attendant for five years. <laughs> So I got to travel the world and do a whole bunch of stuff and meet wow. new people, have adventures. So the, how did you get to be a flight attendant? <laughs> you go to flight attendant school? What, 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 how did you get that job? I will tell you. Okay. So I got an education in economics. Now, so I was working in a bank. I knew it wasn't for me. I couldn't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. Not that it was a bad thing. It was just, it wasn't for me. So uh, I tried to see how, because I didn't know how to see the world. I didn't know how to do it. I knew I couldn't afford it on my own dime, but I wanted to do it. And I'm not a backpacker in the sense that I'm, I didn't feel confident enough to just get put, you know, some stuff in a rucksack and just go somewhere. I didn't feel confident. Well, I will tell this. Black people don't camp. You're not going to see. <laughs> uh, I have a friend who loves it, and I, I I, don't understand her love for it. That's one of the minorities. You're not going to see. <laughs> She's a true minority. A, a, a family of, of five black people in a tent with sleeping bags. That's At not least how hard we camping, I don't think so. I, it, yeah, we don't I do didn't, that. I did not enjoy it when i was a kid i did not yeah so we don't do that we, we just that's don't. not for me so okay so going back to that so you worked at a bank 
And yeah, so uh, I tried to find out how. I didn't know how. I didn't know there was a school for, you know, to become a flight attendant. I didn't know about that. But I, this is something I wanted to do. I wanted to travel. I wanted to fly. I loved it. You know, I had always, my dad used to take me to go watch the airplanes. This is a long time ago. You used to be able to go in further to see inside, to see airplanes take off at Pearson. And I used to do that with him when I was really small. And I was like, I love this. I want to see, you know, the world from up above, you know? So uh, I went to an interview for a, uh, for a company that uh, does ground control, well, not ground control, but uh, ground customer service. So check-ins, possibly cleanings and stuff for aircrafts in the airport. It's a, I can't remember the name of the company, but it's an outsourced company that worked in the airport taking care of that. So I went for this job interview because I said, well, it's close. I maybe uh, just being close to airplanes and seeing them will be enough for me. And it was the interviewer. He said, this is not for you. Wow. He's like, I can't see you doing this. He's like, you should be on those planes. He's the one who told me. I didn't tell him. I said nothing. He said, you should be on those planes. He gave me a number. He gave me the name of a new company that was coming up, coming into Toronto. It's called, it was called Jetsco. <laughs> For some of those who know who Jetsco, well, it's Jetsco on now. But <laughs> <laughs> um, and he said, they're hiring. I know someone. I'm going to give them your name. Call this number and get that interview. This man is the one who put me on the path. I got this job at Jetsco and I started flying the next month. Wow. That After is, my training, yeah. It's hard to find honest people. Like, you found an honest person. Uh, every once in a while, I meet some real... I, I don't even say, like, I meet some real interesting souls that just seem to come out at these times when I just need to meet them. Oh, wow. And I don't know. I don't... Maybe I put it into... That's when I start to believe in universality and, like... Okay, put it out something out into the universe. It will come to you. It will. I, I believe in that <laughs> as well. I think I think whatever you put in your mind, uh, whether it's good or bad, it comes. And 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 I'm I'm a very believer because it has happened to me. Anything good or bad that I think and I rethink, it usually happens. And I understand now that's the power that I bring into the universe. So. Whether it's good or bad, I'm like, yeah, I, I knew this was going to happen because I, it, it was in my head all the time. So I know it's going to happen. So I definitely am a big believer in that. So, I mean, so you traveled the world. Most of it, yeah. Most of it. Now, <clears throat> I, I'll, I'll ask you this because I'm trying to do some research about the flight attendants and stuff like that on flights. Because there's not a lot of black people in Canada at this not a whole lot of it. Not, not at least during my time, which I started 2004 early 2004 and ended in 2009 at that time i didn't see very many no yeah so uh, i'm having like myself even, even myself I'm, I'm having a hard time finding either people that are like pilots or flight attendants and and air canada posted like oh we have like 200 people like uh, that work and i'm like i'm not quite sure if this is true because i've been trying to find these people and i can't find them <laughs> here's the other thing um the, well it's a slight insight that I have because I was in that world. There's a lot of flights. 
and they go a lot of places. And especially a, a large company like Air Canada has many uh, sub companies, I guess you would call them, and they go to various reaches. You could see one person once in every 10 years. Oh, wow. It's a, there's a lot of people, but there's a lot of flights. There's a lot. Okay, that, make, that makes sense. Now, if you go to a smaller company or someone that is more uh, charter-oriented or what have you, wh whoever their, uh, their crew is, you have more of a tendency to see them again mm. because they have less flights or less routes or what have you. Okay. But... I'm not saying that they don't have their 200 or they do have it, but one of the reasons why we may not see a certain group of people very often could be because they're just all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 could, I, could definitely, I could definitely understand that path. Now, you were a flight attendant, but again, did you always know you had the voice that you had, like, like that singing voice? Well, I'll tell you a sad I guess somewhat sad story. I used to be a part of a school choir. So grade two, must have been what, eight, nine? I don't know, I can't remember. But uh, I used to be part of a school choir and I had a choir directress because I went to French immersion. So I guess directrice, directrice de choir. Um, I had, well, I had always had this style of voice because I emulated, well, my dad had this style. So I thought that's how you sang, you know, he's, Sang R&B, jazz, pop, soul, rock. So it's like, you know, art, they call it the natural voice. So the more guttural, but very high uh, register. So your voice projects. So I always had a projectable voice. But this choir teacher, she didn't, she wasn't having it. And said, stop screeching and hollering and just mouth the words while the choir sings. Oh, wow. That, end, that honestly, that ended it for me right then and there. How old were you when this happened? I want to say when I was in grade two is when I started, and when she, maybe about grade three or four. So yeah, from 10-ish, uh, 10 to 12-ish, around there, because I'm trying to remember how old I was, but around that time, you know, when you're starting to get in just before, you know, 11, maybe, I think I would, must have been in my 11 year, grade 11, not grade 11, sorry, 11 years old, around there. And I didn't really have the self-confidence to say, no, I know what I have. And obviously my father was not going to encourage it. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so pretty much you would you say that you kind of were oppressed by singing for, for from that time? Yeah, I lost all my confidence to even think I could do it. So uh, I would I wouldn't even sing in the shower for a few years. Oh, wow. I completely stopped. But luckily, at the same time, I was still in dance because I started dancing at the age of three and a half. So I was still in ballet and jazz and tap and all of us. So I, I was still in the arts. So I figured, well, if I can't be a singer, at least I'm going to be a dancer. Okay. So I didn't focus on it, but it did stop me from wanting to do it because... Didn't think I had the chops to it. The choir director, who is the choir director, who knows how to sing, told me I can't sing. So, and nobody has told me differently. <laughs> she, she was very wrong. Uh, now, and that's something that I, I think we don't see at all, and happens to a lot of colored kids. That anything that you have when you're little, it's gonna hunt you for years to come, and it's very little things, like because 
again, I have two kids and how they see the world, it's totally different than how I see it. They see it in such a naive way and how the mechanics work. So they think that the mechanics are so simple and they're not. But once you hurt them in a place, they they think that's it. That's that's the way it is because the mechanics are so simple. So I could see when you were little that kind of you said like, okay, so this is the way it is. Yeah. And, you know, at those kind of ages, you know, from 10, I'd say from what I've seen from my friends, kids and so on. From the age of about nine or ten until, well, I guess all the way up, depending. But like at least starting from that time into early adolescence, you can really make someone or you can break someone. That's true. And I mean, I was strong in other areas of my life because I would always go and search for things that I could do. I was very resourceful as an individual, creative, but that broke. It did break. It it broke me for a while, and it took me a very, very, very long time to rebuild that. Like I said, I didn't start even thinking I could do it until, you know, much, much later. And I have, it's not just Andre, my my partner who I do music with. I have to thank a lot, some other people who saw things I couldn't see in myself anymore. A friend, Danielle Carey, she's the one who tricked me into doing karaoke again. I love karaoke. Really? (laughs) I love it. Really? And she tricked me into doing it and got me back on the horse, I guess I can say. We should bring you to a karaoke night and let's be quiet so people can just hear you sing. Oh, my God. Y'all don't have a lot. I have been searching for karaoke in Mount I have not heard of it. There's karaoke like every day here. Every day. Okay. I'm, uh, yeah. I want a list of all these places. (laughs) Every day there's a karaoke somewhere. Oh like my goodness, from I will Monday be. to Friday to, to, to Saturday. Like Saturday, Sunday. Coming soon to a karaoke jam <laughs> near you. <laughs> so so we go look, so you danced since you were little. You were in the arts. Uh you weren't motivated to sing. Uh you last twenty one years in Toronto. Uh art is not a thing uh, unless dancing, but like singing is not a thing, art's not a thing. Uh you moved to Montreal, which uh Montreal is like the jazz capital of Canada because Little Burgundy's there and people like Oscar Peterson. And a lot of jazz artists like lived, lived in Montreal and worked in Montreal. Yeah. So when did you find the courage? Of, you said to karaoke, but when did you find like the, the courage to say, I'm going to sing. This is oh, what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. <clears throat> okay. I had met Andre, my current partner, for, uh, I met him in the summer of 2009. So I would say in that fall, winter, is when I went to karaoke with him because I loved karaoke by then. And he heard me sing. And he said, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's, and that I, you can quote me on it. He said, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> and he said, you want to do this? And I'm like, I can't do it. I'm just, you know, I didn't think I, you know, I was like, oh, I'll do it for my friends and stuff, but I couldn't. And he said, no, no. So he got me started in some jam nights, some blues jams in Montreal. And I, uh, started from there and then uh, we did a couple of jam nights and i i was in and i said wait a minute it, it kind of lit something back up inside me a very small spark but it lit it and i was like no i can do this the, and i it's like i owe him a great debt of gratitude for not just seeing it in me for helping me see it back in myself because other people had seen it but somehow i couldn't light that you know, a spark on a barbecue when you, you have to turn the thing and it just doesn't catch. 
it caught somehow. And we uh, started off a blues band right off the bat. Oh, wow. So you started a blues band. What year was 2009? When I had met him. Well, I started the blues band 2011. And we started our, we got our first paying gig, September, September 18th, 2011. Wow. Yeah. And, and how much was that, like, in a Montreal band? Like, what was the fee of a first-time gig band? I, I was hooked. Well, I mean, like, I had been performing and dance through dance and, you know, Afro-Caribbean dance for, for so long. Like, that wasn't an issue. Like, I loved it. I was home. I felt oh, like wow. I was home. This is, like, it's been so long. I haven't been home in the thing that I knew I was meant to do. And just started from there. We got as many gigs as we could get. We started meeting people. I put out my first album in 2013. Oh, we wow. created a, a yeah, first album and uh, a second one in 2015. <laughs> and then I did a jazz album with uh, my friends who actually played on the other albums and uh, another friend who I had met that like I just kept trying to find any opportunity I could to do it to try and expand my horizons. And I'm not limited just to jazz and blues and stuff. Like, I'll go, I'll, I want to try it all. Yeah, yeah, we see, I, I, I saw you singing, you sang, like, a, a classic rock, you sang a whole bunch, you sang Lord, yep. that. You, said, you, you did a lot of pretty good cover songs. Now, when you, you, you got the book and you started, like, you did two, three albums r mm -hmm. real quick, uh, and one of the things that kind of, like, jazz, blues, like, and you've been to the States. Usually people, when they want to do professionally, they go to the United States because that's where the business is. You said you lived in the States for a bit. What happened that you never said? I was, I didn't live. I was going to see if I could live. Oh, okay. Because, so I stayed, I think about a, about a month, not more than that. But I, I, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, to what, live? what part of the no. states exactly? Uh, it was New York. Oh, okay, so it's a big. This, this, it was big. It was as it, it was too. It was too much for me. Maybe. Okay. I, I, I I'm not sure. I just it didn't work for me. Huh. That is, that's quite interesting because I mean, yeah, New York is. If you if you're a jazz artist or a blues artist, that's where do you want to be? Because that's where the big halls yeah. and the big things are. But, but, but it's also very saturated. Yes. It, <laughs> it, it, but it's 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 a thing that I. The people say like if you make it there you make it anywhere and yeah uh, and it, it's not because of the city it's because of the competition yeah like if you you, there's, you have to really step your game yeah, up it's like you think you're good there's a thousand people as good or better, better yeah as you so you have to step up like what what makes you better than all so that that's quite curious that uh that that i brought that back that question because i'm like huh that's uh Usually when you go to the music business, you go to the stage because it's a bigger, bigger place. There's it's it's a bigger market. You have better access to exposure. You, It is a very, you know, the U.S. of A., I mean, that is where you, where it started, actually. <laughs> That's the place to do it. But I mean, again, I didn't have the confidence to be able to say I could do this. So what am I arming myself with hopes and dreams and no fire to do those things. So I didn't see that place as somewhere I could actually excel. Oh, wow. So I yeah. didn't see it. No, no, that makes sense. And, and I think now with the internet, I think you don't really need to be anywhere. 
which is the, I think the internet is the great equalizer. Uh, yeah. Just because you don't really need to be... physically go somewhere. No, not in the beginning, maybe. But you do have to acquire a lot of likes and clicks and followers, and so it it it's still there, just in another form. And I think, and not that you bring that up, I I usually tell people sometimes it's not even about the clicks or the likes. It's about the engagement because it's like you could have a million followers in Instagram or Facebook, right? But how many of those million followers will listen to your music and actually pay for a ticket? That's the difference. That's the difference. That's why I tell people like you don't focus so much about the likes and the and the views and stuff. Focus on what's the core. Like how many people are commenting to those videos that you're yeah. singing. That's that's the real it factor there. Because if it's if that doesn't happen, you're like mm, things are not things okay. are not gone. So you make your first album. You, you meet your partner. He you know he hears you sing. You guys have stuff. How was it like? Did you have to write your own songs? Did you have to find a songwriter? Did you find like a studio? How how did that come up? I, well, Andre was already in music for about ten years before I met him, and he was he's also sorry he's also a songwriter too. I had always been writing, uh, like I was also a writer. I wrote poetry and. I already wrote songs myself. I just didn't think I could do anything with them. Really? So I, yeah, I'm actually a songwriter first. <laughs> oh, wow. So when was your, when did you wrote your first song? Do you remember? I remember it was called Little Spider. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I only found, it was actually, I didn't find it. It was my brother, Samson, who found it somewhere. He said, I found something called Little Spider. And and it just brought back just like the feeling I had, not what it was said, but the feeling of how I felt because I'm afraid and I don't like spiders. (laughs) Sorry. But I felt I was a spider. I'm afraid and I don't like me. And and he found it and I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, hold on to it, but don't show it to me yet. So he found it. And um, I must, it was in scratch or, you know, he's like, so you must have been real young. So I, I had to be about less than my teens. I, I couldn't be very old. But I mean, not great. But my first actual song I wrote, I was about 18, 19. Oh, wow. So, so your brother found this in Toronto? Yeah, and somewhere in one of my dad's stuff. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. uh, now my dad and I are really, really getting closer. He's talking to me a lot about some of the things that he's learned. And he did apologize for not encouraging me to follow this big dream because it was not just a fancy. It was who I, who I am. And he really, he apologized to me for not seeing me for who I truly was and not being able to be a part of it when he could have. Yeah. And I guess like, you know, uh, and again, I I don't know your father, he probably doesn't, but you you know, we all have our own traumas, right? Yeah. So we all have our our own things. And, and unfortunately when you're a parent, you transfer that trauma to your kids. Yeah. I mean, you've got responsibilities and you have things that happen to you and you don't want those things to happen to them. So you kind of 
inadvertently pass them on trying to protect them from it and what ends up happening is you just traumatize them <laughs> yeah that, that that that's definitely yeah but you know i think uh, uh, uh we we have come a long way i think back in those days there wasn't a lot of talk about mental health or things like that, that, that especially not in our communities exactly black people that do not talk we're talking about it now i mean uh, as we were in this interview, I just saw the Kanye West thing, and that's a whole other craziness of its own. And I'm like, I, I felt sad because I'm like, this guy, it, he's having a mental breakdown as we're speaking, and we're we're entertaining this, but we're not we're not talking about this. We're fueling it. We're we're you we're consuming it. We're fueling it. We're consuming it, and we're encouraging it yeah. in a like cosmic way we're encouraging this and i i'm not saying i'm not a kanye west fan or i am a fan i'm i i like to just see people and see they're doing their thing and i'm happy for the people to just do whatever it is they do because you're being your best self but when i see someone like say for instance right now kanye west i'm like man the man's in pain and whether he sees it or not we're, we're not helping yeah, no one's helping. Look, uh, I, I'm, I'm looking at uh, when this has happened with a lot of people. I remember there was an actress called Amanda Bynes. She had a mental breakdown. This happens to a lot of people. Now we're seeing him. Having, and I'm like, we should be talking about the mental state of this person, not necessarily the entertainment. It, it, yeah, cool. It's entertainment. We're fueling it. We want to get out. But uh, but definitely in the black community, there's, not, there's more now. But There are more conversations now, but they're not... I don't find the conversations are transparent enough. No, they're they're not. They're definitely not. And you know, it, it, it comes because of a long history of not talking about it, right? Like especially you have people that in the male side, they're like, No, we, we we're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so so definitely you got that. So okay, so going to your story, I mean, there's definitely been some ups and downs within the family you finally found your true passion you come and you start realizing that and and you, you keep forwarding that and then we're going to move to moncton new brunswick canada like, like okay okay how, 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 how does, did that happen how did that, how did that happen <laughs> or like my friend said girl you what <laughs> what <laughs> anyway um okay so let me just preface this by saying COVID-19, pandemic 2020, did a number, about six numbers on me. <laughs> like, it it really, 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 it destroyed a lot of things. It created opportunities for new other things. But in the end, I'm still, I'm still kind of in that limbo right now. Pre- that, we're using that as the preface. We were living in Montreal. I'm not sure how many people understand the just how serious the lockdowns were and the curfews and the distancing and all that was in Montreal compared to, I mean, it was bad everywhere, but especially in Montreal, it was really, 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 really serious. A lot of people were scared, but also there's a lot of people in a short, in a very small area and, uh, it was a, like the epicenter of this disease. It's it was so there's a lot of a, a lot of things going on all at the same time and fear throughout of it. 
and legitimate fear for a lot of us. And we couldn't, well, we were living there. We had an apartment there. And I didn't even want to go out for a walk around the block because there were too many people outside. Oh, wow. But at the same time, I didn't want to be stuck inside anymore. And I, I'm somebody who's very, I like to be around people. In this age of everybody on their phones, I do not fit in. <laughs> I like to be with people, I like to see them, I like to hug them. I'm a hugger. Like I hug everybody. Like I love it. So for me to be afraid to even be out in the open air because there are too many people. And I'm, I'm like, not just because I'm afraid of catching, there's just too much going on. I developed like a slight agoraphobia. And then they were, you know, so much information, then misinformation, and then more information, then more misinformation. And then like, we're spraying our food. And uh, we're, you know, only one person go to the, the grocery store, and you only can buy this and you, and then it's like, you can't get clothes, you, you have to, you just buy certain foods, and then the shelves are empty, because there's no toilet paper. And I'm like, <laughs> I like, it's a it, lot. It, it, there was so much. It's a lot. So we were there. And I was hunkering, I just kept hunkering down and hunkering down because I'm just, if I could just hunker down more, I could get through it. Andre was having a tougher time in the hunkering down aspect. And I understand why it was more difficult for him compared to me. Andre is Canadian. His parents are Acadian. He's a white Canadian. He does not culturally, well, he may culturally understand hard times, but as black Canadians, especially those of us who are from the Caribbean or have parents from the Caribbean, we're kind of taught to, we have to conserve, we have to keep quiet, we have to take the weight because we have to endure to get to the other side. So we're kind of always taught that. Mm -hmm. So this hunkering down was natural for me to do. It wasn't natural for him to do. So after the, you know, there was some, you know, they raised the restriction. Then it's the constant up and down with the raising of the restrictions and putting them back on. He just, he couldn't do it. And then I said, okay, well, let's, we'll think about, you know, going somewhere. But first, let's try to get through this because I loved Montreal. I, even through all of this happening, I felt like, I, you know, I was still doing my thing. Music is tough, but it's still there. It's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful city. But then there's also the other side of the problem where we have the rental situation and landlords and rent evictions. And so all of that starts coming to play. And we had a landlord who was trying that with us and tried to, you know, basically rent evicted us out. Oh, so... Wow. This is uh, like year two. So already we've gone a year hunkered down, not knowing what the future brings. And then year two comes around and now we don't know where we're going to go. Wow. And Andre is not from Montreal. He's from, you know, here. He's from New Brunswick. So the only family we have, because no one's giving you a place to live if you don't have a job. None of us have jobs. <laughs> and... Where the option was Toronto or Moncton. Toronto, 
I mean, yes, there's opportunity, but Toronto was almost as bad as Montreal with the situation and the 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 the, the distancing, the lockdowns, and the this and the that. Like, there's we still would have all of that on our heads. Plus, it's Toronto. It's a very big, busy city that is going through a crisis too. So, and then there's Moncton, where everyone seems to be somewhat managing it better. We had it pretty good here. We had it really good. Well, we were reading, Andre, we're reading about uh, how you were, you know, you had your bubble. Yeah. So it kind of, it, it seemed like the best move for what we were going through at the moment. And I mean, logically, it was the best move. So, I mean, but me, emotionally, I was mourning I was mourning a lot of things if I left Montreal because one Moncton is very, very, very far from Toronto yes, it's, uh, <laughs> and Montreal's only five and a half hours. <laughs> well, is it five? I think it's like, I mean, I don't know how you drive, but it's like, no, I will not admit, <laughs> but I can get to Toronto in five, five and a half hours. Wow. So from Montreal and we could not do, we, we couldn't even make a one trip from here to yeah, Toronto. Definitely not. Definitely, no. definitely not. So that was one thing that kind of weighed up, but I didn't realize it right on the spot because I was still hunkering down, just like, let's get through this. Let's do what we need to do. And that, I have to thank the upbringing that I had for my ability to hold on and take care of things because I became very, very, very regimented and automatic and really good at getting things done. But on the other side, I lost a lot of myself in it because I had to remove my personality in order to be able to handle what was going on. So we moved here. His parents, lovely people, took us in, you know, and said, well, family guys, like, we'll get through this. And God bless them. Like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, through that, we were able to see opportunities where we might not have been able to see them because we were so focused on hunkering down in the pandemic. So we were able to take advantage of opportunities. So I started singing again here with him and we uh there are different types of opportunities but they're opportunities nonetheless yeah for sure for sure right? especially for what you guys do it's, it's definitely a lot of opportunities if, if you mm. know how to how to take care of them like for example uh again i deal with a lot of electronic music mm -hmm. so people don't understand electronic music here that much so i had to kind of but you know what you guys do which is singing like if you go to a music mb or ecma they kind of understand what you have to do and they, they can help you out because they can, they understand that scenery way, way better than uh, other that formats, yeah, oh, other yeah. different formats. So did you ever, besides moving here, have, did you, have you ever been to the Maritimes previously? Yes. Um, through flying before. Yes. Um, I had been to, I've actually been to every province in Canada and in the Maritimes, okay. but I had never stayed very long. The only place I've actually visited and had an experience and enjoyment, like enjoyed a night out or whatever was in Halifax because by then my friend Danielle, she had moved back to Nova Scotia. So one of my 
visits, I went and I saw her and had some time fun there. And so I've seen Halifax and Halifax has, as I learned as a Canadian much later, it's own black community. Yeah, it's the oldest black community in, in Canada. Canada. In Canada. And I was like, yeah. my mouth dropped and I was elated, but also so sad that I only learned this so late in life. It's pretty rich too. Like if you ever go to places like North Preston or East Preston, it's full of black people and, and it's uh, uh, Birchtown and different places in, in Nova Scotia that are just all black neighborhoods. And it's not... The funny thing about it is, is that you got people that they know their generations, yeah. fifth, sixth, eighth generation of Black Canadians, uh, and you know you don't you don't find that like when you go to Ontario, people are like Trinidad, West Indian, and then they end it there. Yeah, yeah, they're like okay, they, but these people know like no, no, no. We my ancestors uh, came; they went to Virginia and they came on the you know, on the Underground Railroad, and they settled here. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting to know that they're preserving that. So when you get here, what's your first impression? Well, to be honest, I had visited here for like at least 10 years, you know, like visit every, I guess, every other Christmas or holiday because we're visiting his parents. So I have been here before. Um. Through those years that we've, that I visited, I've noticed from the first year, which was in 2000 and maybe 2010 until 2020, you know, around 2020, the influx of people of color has grown drastically in 10 years. When I first got here, not so much. I can count on one hand. Yeah. Right now? It's definitely, it's, uh, it's. I'm seeing a lot of faces. I'm hearing a lot of accents and I'm and I'm like okay I'm feeling this <laughs> I'm I'm like this I this is good you know like I think it's great yeah it's it's definitely growing it, it's definitely growing to a part that uh you're seeing way more I've been here for 13 years okay uh and uh I came from a big city I traveled and all that that things and uh Eight years ago, I couldn't find a black barber. Well, now I think there might be one or two. <laughs> no, there's like seven. Oh, really? Oh, excuse me. <laughs> there's like seven of them, so so it's it's definitely going uh, to, in the right direction. So so you've been here a couple of times, and and you okay? So you did realize that it's like okay, I might be black person number two in places. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, that didn't phase me really because I worked in an industry where I didn't see many faces that looked like mine anyway. Okay. You know, so that really didn't phase me. What phased me more was the fact I was seeing more as the years okay. went by. I was like, okay, so I'm noticing it. So, but I guess we always have to be aware of our surroundings. It's just a reality. And so when I see more, I feel that it's an opportunity for learning, but also camaraderie. I can never say that one. <laughs> Come around. <laughs> but the good thing about, okay, maybe it's not a good thing, but it is a different thing, is when you go to a place where there aren't many black people, the people that are there or the, the, the homogenized group 
if they aren't really into what the media portrays black people to be, then they have no frame of reference and just take what they see and learn about who you are. I felt more of that here than say Dallas, Texas, which I have been to a number of times and was also in the same situation and did not feel that. Yeah. And, and the, you know, in Canada, it's a, in the maritimes is a bit different because in the, I feel like here people are, are welcome, more welcoming here, but in the same time, they kind of know that you, they, they let you know in a subtle way that you're different. Oh yeah. Like you're not from around here. Exactly. Like, like, like I remember I have a friend, uh, who's from St. John and his families are black settlers from St. John, like five or six generations of people, black people living in St. John. And they're like, oh, where are you from? St. John. University. Oh, cool. All right. So have you lived here? Yeah, yeah. So where's your, your dad from? St. John. Where's your mom from? St. John. Grandfather. St. John. Yeah. Great grandfather. St. John. Like, like what they're expecting is like, I'm from Ghana or yeah. Jamaica or like some place that, that, that they're like, they, oh. they expect the, uh, well, at least here, they don't do the, no, but where are you really from? No, no, they do that here too. Oh, really? I have not gotten that yet. I have gotten, well, I guess because I'm, I have no family here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can't say, well, I am actually from, I say I'm from Toronto. And they're okay. Like, yeah, I can say, oh, yeah, you're yeah. from Toronto. So it's a Canadian city. I'm Canadian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm finally, finally accept me as Canadian. <laughs> well, I think especially black women because the black women get the hair thing they get the makeup thing oh lord yeah like like i don't like we don't get men don't get that like men don't get the you don't get that but i do worry that the other things that i have seen my brothers and a lot of other men go through i fear i try not to put in the forefront of my head but i do fear that it might come here that i think it's already here i, I think i think what what people don't understand it's that and again people basically from bigger cities mm-hmm. is that they when you come from a bigger city and you come and you go to a small town you have all this small town stigmas right and you you get to places and you say like okay i'm a, I, I expected this from a small town i expected this i expected that what you don't expect and this is when when it hits you hard. It's when you start realizing that it's not a person problem; it's a system, system problem. problem. Yeah. In the city, you don't see that because in the city, everybody's the so whole big. system is just there. Yeah. Like you, you in the system. Yeah, you're in it, and you're like, and you're so busy that you you don't realize it till certain. When you're in a small place, that things move slower, you realize. Oh wait a minute! It just caught up to you. Yeah, you're it's like, like, oh yo, you were there. Oh, you oh, just took so a little the while reason to get I here. cannot get a house or this is because the color of my skin or people look at me different, and they still do in the city. They, they, it still happens, but it's, it's so quick that yeah. you don't even know. Pay attention. Yeah. You don't even know. You're like, whoa! Like, but then when you start realizing, like, I can tell you this: when I started, I started opening doors and stuff, and I started getting the same answer, <laughs> and I'm like. I'm not even talking about, like, we're talking two different things, and I still get the same answer for 
yeah. is string of people or this string of people. I'm like, why is that? Like, why, why if I'm talking about X, they still refer me to Y? And then I started learning, like, oh, wait, the only common denominator is, is that I'm not white. Yeah. And then when you start, then uh, the first you start blaming yourself, like, maybe it's me, maybe it's me, maybe it's me. And then you figure out that there's other people that have the same common denominator at you that get the same answer. And then you're like, oh, and then you, you, you kind of book together. Uh, in the city, some people, like I said, if you look at the history of Little Bergen in Montreal, they were there. All black people were there. They did. They, they And it became to a point that some people never even left that yeah. side of the city. Mm-hmm. That they never left that part because it, that was the whole world to them. And they, they never paid attention to it until it, the gentrification started and then things got going. And then people are like, oh, whatever. It is what it is. But here, when you go to a small town, you're like, no, no. They will know you. They'll know who you are. Oh, yeah. I've experienced it. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're not, not, I can't say it's malicious because malice takes many forms. But it is a little more or a little less sophisticated in its appearance. But it's not inherently like on its face malicious so someone will ask they'll come by and see you and say oh you're new here and you're not from around here and a big smile on their face and they ask a lot of questions now coming from some very big cities you know you a random stranger comes up to me and start asking a lot of questions i want to know why exactly you're like, <laughs> well, what the hell is going on here and luckily i kind of again not necessarily. I kept a lot of that, but I'm trying not to let it guide me. I'm letting it go with me, be, being a little more friendly, responding to some of these questions, but I'll ask you those same questions. You know, like, so where, you know, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Toronto. Where are you from? Yeah. And, and- oh, I'm from here. And they're like, oh, have you been here long? I'm like, oh, I've been here a few months. How long have you been at that address? No, sometimes it just takes the, you know, a question answer for someone either to catch what they're doing. Yeah, that's true. And other times, if they know what they're doing and they see you responding, then like, oh, I can't mess around with this one. Yeah. And and the funny thing is, is that, again, it's subtle. Sometimes they don't even know. But, but when I say like... uh. I, I see, like, for example, with with people that they they are subtle and they say, like, oh, you're different. I'm like, different from what? <laughs> and then, like, and, and then you, and then they kind of backtrack. This is like, oh, wait, I I, I said something. I, wrong. I said something that I did, that I wasn't supposed to say. And and uh, they you gotta get them caught up in that. But the the only thing that I do appreciate here compared to places of uh, like bigger known places like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, is that there's an evolution here. There's mm-hmm. an evolution that it already happened in Toronto. Like it's it's already there and people don't even pay attention to like, for example, uh, if you look at in Toronto, there's a big Sikh community or a big yeah. Hindu community. And there's like four or five generations and the kids now, they don't even think about it they're like oh let's go to the 
the Raptors game and, you know, let's go it's around all good. and it's all good and it's all whatever. Where there's communities here of those people, they're still trying to figure out, like, how do we come be with each other? Let's make a church for our, for our community and let's yeah. make this for our community, which, which is already... And I think to a certain point that's going to be a good evolution, but we're seeing it and, it, and then you start you start thinking about it now. Like like you said, like in Montreal, you never thought about it or maybe you thought about it once or twice. But here you're kind of like, oh, wait, this is, this is different. This, yeah. This, this is different. But, but I mean, when you come here and you've been here already, you start, you know, you're living here. Yeah. And it's now a year and a half. Yeah. What musically, What's the difference besides getting like big, bigger venues and gigs and stuff like that? What's the difference? Musically, um, well, it's um, smaller. So we have to do, it's acoustic duos are here. And it's a lot of country, classic rock uh, covers. (laughs) Um, I haven't, I mean, I heard there's a punk community, but I don't know much about because I don't get to see very much of it in Moncton. I know a little slightly more in Fredericton because uh, we went to the ECMAs and I, you know, we, we met some other musicians that actually work out of Fredericton. So I've, it's more, I guess, over there. But I've noticed that I came from a big band and now Andre and I are doing acoustic duos. Yeah, that's good. And it's very, I, can't, I don't know if top 40 would be the accurate term now, it is, it is, considering it is that now term. we're further into the, you know, into, into the decades. So top 40 now is like what we would have considered not top 40, but <laughs> top 40 country, classic rock, like that grouping of music is more prevalent here. And it's, it's quite, I mean, it's good. I, I there's great talent here. But it seems to be very, very stuck with that. So we come in and we're doing something that you don't see a lot of or you haven't never seen before. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a good thing. And I think that's the that's what attracted. Like I, I heard you sing and I, I said the acoustic part and, and it's very prevalent here. It's And I realized why it's so prevalent is because of the the small bar thing like like get, having bands and also i think in in big cities is happening as well like venues are not as prevalent as they used to be no. so there there's less venues for people to bring bands here and there's always been like that here it's just now that if you're in a bar they're like okay you can maybe get two or three instruments but you cannot get like a whole console sound system all that jazz yeah place. the the places that we've well i mean we're starting now. Yes, I've been here in a, a year and a half, but only really this current summer have we really put our feet in in terms of gigs and everything because, you know, the year last year it was still kind of um, locked down and stuff. So this summer is when we really start to see things. So we're getting our feet wet now. And uh, yeah, the places don't really have the room no, they don't do for... A six-piece, eight-piece, ten-piece band, but they also can't pay for it. Yeah. And I noticed, well, I'm learning now. I'm meeting more musicians, but 
you don't have a working musician community that's very solid or big here. No, there's not. There's, there's so all of the musicians that I have met so far have to have a side gig of a day job or it's someone who has a career who does this on the side. And so, you know, if a bar can't afford to pay what your, you know, an actual wage, I can't even say a wage, a, a pay for what you do, it's people who don't have to rely on that money who can do it. And therefore, the working musician doesn't get to be here. I also think that one of the issues here is like the the only people that do it full time they're tour they tour a lot they they go a lot on the road that's how they make their money well yeah or they do their own shows and they have their own I think uh, again I know some people like uh, I, I forgot I don't have his name right now but he has like a like a little dance band in Fredericton he's from Fredericton mm -hmm. uh, Stephen Lewis Stephen Lewis okay. yeah he's a he's a he he has done Glastonbury and he has done London. And I see that he, he does a full-time as a musician. And one of the things that I see is that he has his own, like, working team, like a manager, like a, like he has a... Totally he, has, he has he has the machine. He has the machine, like, and he, he's was able to do it from Fredericton, uh, Lisa LeBlanc, which is a, mm -hmm. a big, like, she's able to do it from here. But, again, she tours a lot, mm -hmm. and she, she gets grants and all that all that jazz. So I think it's a it's a different it's a different motto uh, here to, to live compared to... Toronto that some people have are able to live uh, out of music just playing in Toronto like yeah well still it's the touring thing is countrywide I think we don't have enough people here yeah, to actually true. support a full like uh, static music community you have to tour there there just isn't enough yeah we just don't have enough bodies here but um the sad thing is, how do I say this? Um, the quality of the performances are noticed. Yep. If you are a working musician, this is what you do. Yeah. So you spend all those hours of the day, the week, the month, the year, doing what you do, which is music. And if you have to work at something else in order to be able to do music, it's taking the time away from what you should be doing, mm -hmm. which is music. So it suffers. Whether the audience sees that or not, that is left to be, you know, yeah, no, discussed. It, but it's there. And I mean, I do this for a living. <laughs> and now here I'm seeing, okay, I've got to figure out how I'm going to be able to continue to do it here for a living. Uh, I definitely think uh, you, 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 as a, as a person that has been here and, and I tried uh, in the music business for a living, you have to kind of depend on a lot of uh, business technicalities like grant writing and, yeah. and you know, music news, like ECMAs and the yeah. different, different ways. So you become, you become like a genius of, of, <laughs> of, of doing stuff that like, writing grants and um, polishing albums and, and looking for sponsorship and getting all this stuff. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's quite interesting. So, I mean, now that you are, you're figuring it out here, what, what still inspires you to keep doing what you're doing? This is who I am. 
<laughs> it's 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 a growing process. You know, there's a lot of growth. I'm learning a lot about myself. But I, the one thing I can say that will never disappoint me about this music industry is it taught me to understand who I am. And I'll go through a lot of things. Who knows where I'm going to end up next year? And who knows what's going to happen to any of us in the next six months. But I am here. I am going to be going through something in six months. I am going to be where I am in 10 years. I, and I could say I with complete confidence in who I am. I could not say that before. Yeah, that's that's deep. I, I think, I mean, I, I personally think you're going to make it. You're going to do it. Uh, the only thing I would say, because I've been here for so long, is become very good at what you do and become skillful at what you do, and then everything else will be taken care of. Uh, if you start thinking about, because I've seen a lot of people here that come and they start the negative thinking and they don't become specialized at what they do and they just don't focus on becoming better and better and better and better yeah. and better. The resting on your laurels. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I can't do it. Like, if, if you start thinking about the I can't versus the I can and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm figuring it out, I think those are the only people that I've seen that are able to succeed in, in, a, in a market like that are the people that they just try to be better because yeah. that's what they do, right? Instead of just saying, oh, let me... Like, people should get what I do because I do it. And they should be able to praise instead of me, like, let me become work, better. Work harder than, or smarter and become better at what I do. Let me do this to the best of my ability. Yeah, yeah and, mm -hmm. like, again, improvement, like, I think, uh, I think uh, I saw an interview of James Brown that he said, like, the day that I stop dancing, that's the day that I'm stopped learning. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, and he, he he was in his seventies at that point, and I was like, why would he say that? He says like, if, if you don't dance, you don't learn new moves, you don't learn new stuff. If you don't keep going, you you don't get better. Yeah, and he became like he said, he became a businessman because of the music. He became this because of the music, but he just started becoming better at it because he everything that he did became better as the music. So that that's definitely something that I, has kept in my mind. So. Again, we could talk a bunch of hours here. We could yeah. be like, we could spend like three hours talking here. Uh, but to the sake of our listeners, we, we got to make sure that we, we can uh, get Keep it, it in consumable yeah, portions. Yeah, consumable portions. So if people want to go see your music, where do they go to? Well, we're on all streaming sites. However, um, if you really want to support us, you can go straight to RiaReeseBand.com and you can either download our music directly from our site. We sell it ourselves. Um, you can stream it as well as all the other sites. Um, we actually don't have physical copies right now that we take to our shows. However, if you would like a physical copy, contact us at riareespan.com and we'll find a way to get one to you, physical copies of the music, our original songs. Also, um, I'm on Instagram, Ria Reese Life Music, uh, Facebook, Ria Reese Music is the page. Um, and hey, if you see me on the street, say what's up. Yes. Invited to karaoke. She loves karaoke. Yes. Yes. Le go just, just tag me with a karaoke place and I'm going to check it out and we'll see what's going on. And if I can make it, 
I will find a way I'll, to be I'll, there. I'll, I'll, get, I'll, I'll get to the karaoke places. There's, there's, a, there's one today. Jesus Christ, there's one today. Tomorrow. What is it, Monday? Yeah, Monday, Tuesday. Anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Listen, there's seven days in a week. Yes, yes definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely that. So, uh, thank you for meeting and, and thank you for doing this in person. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this in person. Yes, uh, I should do more <laughs> of these in person. So, people, uh, don't forget to like us and subscribe at Black in the Maritimes, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, thank you for everybody that's donating on PayPal and Patreon. We really appreciate that. And if you want to know more about us, go to blackinthemaritimes.com. Peace.